Hello, welcome to the deep end. This is Hamed, and joining me is my good friend and sports prodigy Mo. What's going on, guys? Uh, we're back again, episode ten. So, kind of a milestone, kind of not, but um, we're just proud that I made it this far. And thank you to everyone that's been listening to us, and especially uh, all of our friends out there that have been spreading the word about the pod and really tuning into the episode. All your feedback has been really appreciated. So. Um, just want to start off by saying thank you, everyone. No, yes, I uh, we we definitely appreciate what you guys are doing, and we, um, you know, every little thing counts. You might think that maybe sharing it on social media, you know, putting it on your Instagram story, might not be a big thing, but it means the world to us. And yeah, like what exactly what Mo was saying, you know, thank you for sticking around these ten episodes. If you haven't been there since episode one, thank you for sticking around, anyways. And, you know, maybe this is the first of many milestones. You know, I'm looking forward to episode 20, 30, 40, you know, even 100. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So let's get right into it. There's a lot lot to get into. There's Ballon d'Or. There's a crazy week uh, in, the, in the premiership. So I'm just going to dive right in. I'll get us started. Uh, kind of go out of order here. But I'll start with the game that I thought was most interesting for me personally. It was Man United and they took on Arsenal. Uh, coming in, Arsenal have been have been pretty hot. Um, they, they, they come in, I believe they come in, in, uh, fourth place and Man United were just below them. So this was kind of a big game for both teams and, um, people have been singing the praises for, uh, Mikel Arteta, which hasn't been happening lately, but Arsenal fans have been backing him. His lineups have been pretty decent so far and Man United have been in kind of like teeter-tottering a little bit their form hasn't been too great and it hasn't been too bad like they're they'll go from game to game depending on uh the man cristiano ronaldo he has a lot to do with their form of course so early on in the first half i thought arsenal had a really strong grip on the game their midfield was was bossing the game uh smith Rowe was killing it uh he did score a goal the first goal in the 13th minute which was a little controversial uh fred and United player stepped on uh, David De Gea's, or, or David De Gea actually rolled his ankle on Fred's foot, and he went down. And then Arsenal just saw an opportunity, shot the ball, it went in the net. David De Gea was down uh, the whole time, and a lot of controversy around that. But I think that his it's it's pretty it's pretty subjective. I don't know. Um, he's he, his injury wasn't that bad in my opinion. I thought he could have gotten up. I felt like he was looking for a whistle. That's which is why he stayed down. Uh, he kind of relied on the referee a lot more than he should have in that point. I really felt like he was just fishing for a whistle and trying to get something, whereas where he could have gotten back up and at least try to make an attempt on the ball. But it is what it is. That's how it happened. That's how the scoring started off. And then Bruno Fernandez, uh, right before halftime, scored a, scored a goal, which was... It was a nice build-up to the goal, but Arsenal's man-marking was pretty awful on that because he was uh, he was unmarked. I mean, no one really had him at all, and he scored a nice goal. But after that, in the second half, it was kind of back and forth. Man United was was good, but at the same time, I feel like Arsenal really, really the players weren't just focused. They weren't really focused at all on the game. Um, they wouldn't make any more forward runs, it seemed like, in the first half. It seemed like they kind of like lost their motivation or just lost creativity in the midfield. Um, I have to talk about um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, though. He, this is the second game in a row where he missed a golden chance at a goal. Like He literally had, um, he had a chance to put Arsenal up. When there was a ball played into him, it was a cross. I don't remember exactly who played it into him, but it was a cross into him and... He was pretty much he was pretty much at like a tap in with the goal, and he missed it. He literally just flat out put it wide of the goal. Um, no touch by David De Gea or anything like that. He just put it wide, and I feel like his his form is dipping for sure. So that may, might be something to keep your eye out on. But again, Man United as Cristiano Ronaldo moves, so does Man United. Uh, he scored a goal that was pretty reminiscent of Bruno Fernandez's goal in the first half. Poor man marking again by Arsenal. He was he was he was wide open. No one was really marking him. And then to top it off, um, well, actually after after that, Arsenal scored a nice goal from uh, Martin Odegaard. Two minutes after that, and it was two two. And then um, it wasn't really a controversial penalty, but when it happened, I feel like people were like, 
upset because Arsenal had had a play before that where um, Harry Maguire was holding uh, uh, Tomiyasu in the box during a cross, and people were cla- uh, clamoring for that to be a penalty, and it wasn't given. So this one was a penalty. I don't know what Odegaard was thinking going going to ground like that in a in a tense game in a close game where he had no chance of getting the ball, absolutely no chance. He went to ground. Um, giving Cristiano Ronaldo a penalty is like a layup. So obviously he made it. And then after that, Arsenal just seemed like they couldn't get anything going. They were just shot. Smith Rowe was tired. Um, Aubameyang, like I said, was missing chances. The only player that played well for them was Martinelli. Honestly, after that point. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, it's it's a well-deserved win for Man United, I, I, I got to say, even though Arsenal, Arsenal just dropped the ball. I mean, you have to play 90 minutes, and they didn't do that, so. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I feel like it was a good game for both teams. Uh, Arsenal, you know, Man United are pretty much in form right now. And that's to be expected because usually when a team fires their coach, they really want to make a point of making sure that the blame is only on the coach. So they always tend to play really well teams that usually just hire new interim managers or just new managers in general. They definitely do try to up the momentum. And Man United have done that. I mean, Michael Carrick, he was the caretaker manager for three games and this was his final game he actually announced that he was stepping down as caretaker manager right after this game the three games that he played in they were really well they 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 went really well uh his first one was during the champions league with villarreal and um you know michael carrick got man united into the knockout stages and obviously the two league games um including the one that we're talking about now which is arsenal um arsenal has been on a tear Lately, they've been doing really well for themselves. I believe that they have the most points in the Premier League since they lost against Manchester City. I think it was what the fifth game week, I believe, where they lost um, five to nothing. They've had the most points in the Premier League since then, I believe. So, you know, for them to lose this game, it was basically just all decided on a penalty. And when Cristiano Ronaldo does get a penalty, like you said, Easy, 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 easy pickings for him. Just a layup, like you said. Um, this was a pretty entertaining game. Uh, if we're going to talk about the goals, uh, Fred, the player that a lot of people, especially people in the Manchester United fan base, don't really enjoy or don't really like, he was actually involved in all three goals, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, he was there during the mix-up where he kind of bumped into De Gea and kind of knocked the on his knees, allowing Emil Smith-Rowe to score. Uh, he assisted on Man United's second goal, I believe. And uh, he was the player that went down and scored, or, you know, he earned the penalty for Cristiano Ronaldo during those last couple minutes. Um, there was also a new manager, uh, Ralph Ragnick. He is a German coach, a very, very proven uh, and tactical coach. He got hired by Man United a few days before this game, and he was actually in attendance um, during this game. He's actually going to be taking charge um, next game week on Sunday against Crystal Palace. That's going to be his first game as you know the actual manager. But uh, he was there to watch that team tonight, and uh, you know I guess he liked what he saw because you know Man United were good. Their their defense was fantastic. Um, what I really liked watching about this game, because I did watch this game, was they didn't just pass it forward to Ronaldo and just hope that, you know, he scores. I really feel like a lot of players were doing their parts during this game. Uh, players such as Marcus Rashford, players such as Sancho. And when it comes to Arsenal, I feel like, like I said, it was a good game for them, but they are desperately missing a number nine you know, Obama Yang, I feel like ever since he got that contract that he signed last summer, he's been absolutely just horrific. He's he's missing wide open chances. He's regressed immensely to the point where I don't think that he should be in the starting eleven. With the team that Barcelona have built right now, they've built they've built a really fantastic team from top to bottom. They you know, they brought in Tomayasu, who's been really, really good uh at right back since uh, Hector Bellerin went on what went out on loan. 
Their midfield is fantastic. We're talking about Bukayo Saka. We're talking about Mill Smith Rowe. We're talking about Martin Odegaard. And up top, they're doing really well as you know as well. But they're just, they're really just missing that poacher up front. And I really feel like Aubameyang is not that player at the moment. Like I would be very much in favor to bench Aubameyang and bring in uh, Gabriel Martinelli. Martinelli has been really really good so far for the team. He's had a couple of good games this year. But last year, he was definitely outshining most of the strikers on that team. And I feel like he's worth a shot because just a bombing is just, he's just missing wide open shots. He's just not doing that well for the team. Um, that, That's basically my thoughts on how that game went. If I could, I, I'd like to segue over into the uh, Merseyside Derby. Uh, which was between Liverpool and Everton. A uh, really, really entertaining game. Um, it, the the game was actually much closer than the scoreline showed. You know, it ended up finishing 4-1. to one. Liverpool did basically dominate during that game, but still, it was very close, like, on the pitch. Um, we had Mo Salah score two fantastic goals. Two really, really well-taken goals. Uh, Jordan Henderson started off the scoring as well. And I really liked how Liverpool was just basically very dominant. You know, they didn't really give a chance for Everton to really build any momentum. Uh, Mosul lost two goals. They were basically poacher goals. Oh, my God. It was insane. First goal for Mosul was literally just on the midfield, you know, running down the wing. Him by himself, just one-on-one with the keeper. And he kind of just, you know... Somehow shot it right between the keeper's shoulder and the goalpost. It was just something beautiful to see. It's a very, very difficult angle. But then again, for a player in form as Salah is right now, it was just easy pickings for him. The second goal was even more impressive. I honestly just did not believe how easy he made it look. You know, Everton passing it between the midfield. Mosul literally just coming in in between them, stealing the ball, running, just sprinting down the midfield. and giving that very slow shot it just it was just so slow the fact that he just kicked it the way that he did where it literally just rolls past pickford when it looks like the slowest ball in the world that was so impressive to see and he just goes to show you that this man is currently the best player in the world right now at this moment yes he is currently the best player in the world there's no denying that yeah, you're right. There's absolutely no, there's there's no arguing that fact at all. Um, what this game, what this game showed me was that Liverpool are, are a very scary team still, and they are very much a threat to win uh, any competition they're playing in, whether it's Champions League, Premier League, you name it, whatever it is. They're a huge threat. Uh, Thiago Alcantara being in the lineup, the starting lineup, I think is a really good move by Klopp. He's been playing really well in the Champions League and the Premier League. But yeah, like you said, those goals that uh, were taken by Salah were amazing. The second goal, it looked like he actually scuffed it. Like the ball, like didn't really, he didn't really get it. He didn't really get a hold of it that cleanly. And the second goal, but it still went past him. Just goes to show that even his missed touches are uh, world class. So a player like him comes around once every generation, and it seems like he's just either he's not letting up or he's even getting better as um, as as time goes by. Uh, so this is a, this was a big game. Obviously, it's a derby, um, but uh, I I I didn't really I wasn't really too sure how I felt about Everton's um, back four going into this game. I really don't like Luka Dean. I don't think he's he's a really good like classic uh, defender. He's more of like get forward and you know play crosses in and stuff like that. Um, there was there was an own or. Um, there was a there was a moment. I'm sorry, where uh, Trent Alexander Ar- uh, Arnold he this guy was everywhere. I mean, he was going forward, he was attacking, he was playing balls in, and I feel like that's what really sets Liverpool apart in their back line. Um, they they have great center backs in Van Dijk and uh, uh, Matip, and wing players like wing backs like Robertson and Alexander Ar- Arnold, but. I feel like Alexander Arnold might be one of the might be the best right back uh, in the world right now. Just everything he's doing, the passes he's playing in, he's getting into space. He his set pieces. I mean, this guy just does everything, and it's, it's super super impressive. And um, Everton again fall to Liverpool, but this is the first time Liverpool score 
um, five goals away uh, at Everton since 1982. It's been a while. Um, and since the start of last season, no current Premier League side has lost more home games in the competition uh, than Everton. So 12 uh, losses since the start of last season. They're level, level with uh, Leicester City on that. So Everton um, do have a lot of work to do, in my opinion. Um, I mean, yeah, they're missing uh, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He hasn't been playing for a while. Uh, they're, they currently sit 14th. Um, so not, not in great shape. Liverpool currently sit third, and they're only two points behind Chelsea for first. One point off Man City. And this is a good segue into the Man City Aston Villa game where newly appointed manager Steven Gerrard is coming off wins, uh, back to back wins uh, with his new club, Aston Villa. It's his first time, you know, uh, Premier League legend, obviously. First time coaching in the Premier League. He had an amazing run with Rangers and, uh, in the Scottish League. So. Um, new test for him, of course, when you run into Man City, uh, all streaks, all winning streaks, um, kinda, you know, go to the side. It's like an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. So he, uh, he kind of felt that and Pep was absolutely like genius with his, with his tactics in this game. Again, uh, the first goal was scored by a very unlikely person, which was Ruben Diaz. And it was a, it was a really nice goal. I mean, it was outside the box. He hit it super cleanly. Uh, I don't know if Emmy Martinez saw it late or he didn't see it. Someone was in his way. I felt like he could have done a little bit better on that one. Could have gotten a hand to it, but he didn't. So that's how it went. Ruben Diaz opened the scoring. And then Ollie Watkins scored another nice goal. He's been scoring great goals. Uh, I think it was last week where he uh, where he scored a goal at the end to kind of help him win that game uh, last week for Aston Villa. And the crazy thing about... Um, Man City is that they don't have Phil Foden or Kevin De Bruyne, and they're still playing, um, they're still playing amazing, amazing football right now, and that's a testament to Pep, and it's a testament to all the other world class players they have. Bruno Fernandez, or not Bruno Fernandez, Bruno Silva. I'm sorry, he might be quietly might be the best uh, midfielder in the Portuguese. world right now. Oh, you know, I was just I thought you were about to mention something about the Portuguese kind of thing. Because I did remember seeing a tweet uh, saying that he was currently the best Portuguese player in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Obviously, shots at Ronaldo, but yeah, Bernardo Silva has quietly been proving his worth for yeah. City. He's definitely taken a step up. He's being, you know, a leader for that squad, definitely. And uh, it was an it was it was a respectable game for Gerard. You know, a lot of players. Or I mean, a lot of teams usually when they go up against City, you know, they cave early, and City just build like a hefty goal difference against them. Like I think Man City is definitely the most likely team to really have blowouts in the Premier League, and they do and they do it often. By the way, they do it often. They 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 blow out teams regularly. Like it's not something new. It's not something like uncommon for us to see. But no, Man City definitely likes to stack up the goals when they're feeling momentum and for Gerard to only lose by one goal and for him to actually score on that Man City defense is impressive. You know, it's a work in progress. It's I'm sure it's, it's a long-term project that he's definitely planning on doing, but it was definitely good to see him, you know, you know, first three games, if you're getting six points, you know, that's still a good result. Yeah, definitely. And the goal, I mean, it's not like he gave up like some crazy goals. Like the goals were world class goals. Like his, like his, his team held. They held their own for sure. Like the goal, uh, Bernardo Silva's goal was a was a beautiful. It was a world class goal. The ball into him was amazing, and then he took it. It was just like a one touch volley, and he hit it sweet. So there's nothing to be yeah, like you said. Nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, going up against Pep, he's a mastermind. Uh, he's definitely gonna play those tactics with you. Uh, he's going to give you different looks. He's going to change it up mid-game. So I feel like it was definitely a good game by by both teams. This is a, not a nice game to watch, for sure. And um, Jack Grealish actually did come in. This is his uh, uh, his former team that he, he was on before this year. Uh, he came in in the, he came in in the second half. Um, he's, been, he's been hurt like on and off lately, so he hasn't been playing that much. But I feel like once this team gets uh, De Bruyne back and uh, Phil Foden... When they get back to full strength, it's going to be really scary. I mean, they only have a they only have a one point lead right, or they're behind by a one point. I'm sorry to Chelsea, so 
Um, we'll see what happens there. But something really interesting was this: this loss for Steven Gerrard was only his fourth home league defeat in his entire managerial career. So he's played 61 games as a manager, coach 61, I guess, won 49, drew eight, and lost four. So yeah, he was in the Scottish uh, division, but still, like that's that's pretty impressive. No, definitely. And, uh, you know, the Scottish League might not be the most competitive out there, but the fact that he broke an eight-year drought or an eight or he, he stopped an eight-year streak uh, in the Scottish Premier League, Celtic, they basically have like a monopoly on that league because they're always used to winning the league title. And for him to come in last year and take that away from them and ended up winning the, the title, the Premier League, the Scottish Premier League title for... Rangers is very impressive in itself. Uh, like I said, it's basically like a two-horse league over there in Scotland. Um, and the Premier League is definitely a different animal. But, you know, like I said, he's been doing well so far. You know, it's a long-term project kind of thing. But he definitely has, you know, the building blocks to make a really solid team. You're talking about Emmy Martinez, who's been, you know, he hasn't been having the greatest year. But compared to where he was two years ago, he's basically on the map as one of the most like you know versatile goalkeepers out there. You have Tyrone Mings, one of the best defenders that England has to offer. You have players such as Emil Buendia. You have players such as you know um, Douglas Louise. You have all these players. You know he has a lot of good pieces, and I feel like just you know basic development, maybe a few transfers here and there, could really help this team move forward. Yeah, man, hundred percent. This team just—they're missing just a couple more, th- a couple more pieces, and then, uh, and then they'll be golden for sure. Yeah. Speaking of golden, let me get into this next game: the Golden Boys themselves, Chelsea. And I say that because it feels like they're the most complete team in the Premier League in my eyes at the moment. Um, they were going up against Watford, and this was kind of an unusual game. I remember watching this game, or I watched maybe the first hour of this game. Um, Watford started off extremely hot. I remember watching and just thinking Watford is playing much more attacking than usual. They had a lot of very, very close chances. A lot of, like, a lot of shots that were, you know, if anyone but Mendy was at goal, I feel like Watford would have scored very early. We were talking, like, multiple chances in the first six to seven minutes where it feels like a lot of you know, a lot of momentum coming in from Watford. And even Mendy. Mendy, I remember he, like, started limping a little bit after a corner um, during the fifth or sixth minute. And I feel like, you know, at that moment, Mendy being injured could possibly contribute to a goal because he maybe won't be as agile or maybe as, you know, mobile as we're used to seeing him. Um, unfortunately, during the tenth minute, I uh, Marcus Alonso pointed towards the crowd and he noticed that something felt off and it turned out that there was a medical emergency in the crowd a fan had fallen ill it kind of i'm not sure what the exact details are but what was being reported at the time that a fan went into cardiac arrest and obviously the game was suspended the medical team you know quickly made their way into the stands they did their thing they tried to you know resuscitating they tried you know taking care of the situation and out of respect for this fan they obviously suspended the game and it was suspended for a pretty long time we i remember it was like a 30 to 35 minute wait to the point where i felt like maybe this 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 game would have been postponed um but then again like i said like i think about half an hour after the game had stopped i saw the players coming out and warming up again and a lot of clapping from the crowd it kind of felt like you know the patient had become stable or had been transported to the, you know, the hospital and things like that. And uh, the game went underway and Chelsea ended up winning this game two to one. I feel like, you know, obviously it's no excuse, but I feel like this medical emergency that happened really put a stop to Watford's momentum because when, you know, the game resumed, I feel like Watford was a little more calmer. They were not as urgent on the ball as they were during those first 10 minutes. And uh, Chelsea, once again, just showing us how dominant they could be. No restreams, no problem. Uh, defensively, they were fantastic. They did concede a goal 
to Watford. But then again, that was bound to come because of the momentum that Watford had. But uh, it wasn't enough because Chelsea scored two, uh, coming in from the likes of Mason Mount and Hakim Zayic. And, um, you know, obviously Mason Mount, the golden boy for Chelsea, the Chelsea uh, Academy graduate, you know, the pride of Chelsea. He's been doing really well so far, not getting a lot of game time, but, you know, still proving himself worthy when he gets that appropriate amount of game time. This game was Zayic. Zayic had been, you know, when you, when you, when you read that Zayic, a player like Zayic, is leaving Ajax to come play for Chelsea, you think that he's going to be the next Chelsea star. But ever since he's been on this squad, he hasn't gotten as much game time as he'd like. And respectfully so, because this Chelsea team is absolutely stacked. But when he's been on the field, you know, like he's making his chances count. Um, I think he starts most of the Champions League games and he definitely scores. He scored more than a few goals during the Champions uh, group stages. And uh, when he does get time in the Premier League, you know, it's basically hit or miss for him. But, you know, recently it's been much more of a hit kind of thing. Uh, Really impressive, you know, really impressive effort from Chelsea here, keeping um, their very narrow lead in the tables. And, you know, with the. amount of games we're about to see this month you can only hope that you know Chelsea can stay up top if they can stay healthy if they can stay as dominant on defense as they usually are I feel like this month could go well for them I feel like this month could be finally the month where they could finally pull away from Man City and Liverpool yeah staying healthy is the name of the game uh, in football in general and um, there's a there's a lot of games coming up in a quick succession too, so uh, fitness will definitely be tested. I feel like lineups are going to be changed. I feel like there might be some experimenting with lineups. Um, so with that being said, I mean we we kind of saw that it was it wasn't really like a conventional lineup for for Chelsea. I mean they started Sal, um, in midfield, and so he 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 hadn't been playing that much before that. Uh, but I like I do like Watford's team despite the fact that they're seventeenth. Their defense could use some work, and their midfield isn't that great. But I like their attacking. Uh, Ismail Yassar, he's injured uh, this game, but he does. He is a goal goal scoring threat. Joshua King and uh, Emmanuel Dennis, who scored the goal. Obviously, he's uh, he's a very good attacking player. Yeah, so like Chelsea's bench was, I mean, like players like Jorginho were on the bench. Timo um, Werner, Hakim Ziyech, who came on, he scored the goal after he came on. So there's going to be some experimenting with the lineups. I feel like Chelsea is so deep and so tactically sound that they probably will keep that first place despite all this um all this craziness with the games that's happening. But uh Liverpool's still a threat. Obviously for sure Man City is definitely a threat because they're still deep even though they're injured. It's going to be it's going to be very hectic and it's going to be interesting to kind of see um how everything turns out. But yeah, the next slate of games. I mean, we're recording this on Friday. The next slate of games start on Saturday, and then they have only four days rest, I believe, after that. So I mean, it's it's they're coming hot and heavy uh, this month for sure. Don't forget about Champions League. Champions League is next week, I believe. So there's that. Basically, no rest. Yeah. So it's uh yeah it's coming in coming hot and heavy for sure. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um. I feel like those were basically the highlights of the last game week. And there's definitely not going to be any shortage of games coming up because like you just mentioned, there's going to be a disgusting amount of games this month. You can only hope for the best when it comes to injuries and, you know, fatigue for the players and fatigue management. But uh, for the fan, honestly, this is just bliss. No international breaks to really interfere with anything. We have the last round of the Champions League group stages coming up. We have all of these games for the Premier League. It is just a really good time to be a fan of soccer at the moment. Yeah, definitely, dude. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So what a lot of people have been talking about is, of course, uh, the Ballon d'Or Awards uh, have, been, have happened this past week on Monday. And last year we didn't get one because of COVID. So this year everyone was looking forward to it. And... Well, I mean, it's no secret if you're listening to this by Friday, of course, you know that Lionel Messi won his seventh Ballon d'Or. Much to the uh, disbelief and weakness, um, I, I can say, of some people around the world that really don't believe they should have won it. Um, specifically, uh, 
Real Madrid fans, I know they're sick to their stomachs. Uh, they can't believe that he won, even though he's a PSG player now. Uh, something about something about Messi, you know, achieving greatness really makes their blood boil. But that's okay. Um, <clears throat> I personally think I'm just gonna dive right into it. My personal take as a as a diehard Messi fan and a diehard Barca fan is that all right. What people forget is that that year that he had. He scored 46 goals in all competitions, and that was a, they said that was a down year for him. He led Argentina. He, he carried Argentina to a Copa America. He led a, an anemic, absolutely anemic Barcelona team to a third-place finish in the table where we were going against the likes of Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, who were having amazing seasons. And he carried our team despite injuries, um, despite players not gelling well, despite coaching issues, I mean, he literally just did everything for us. And we won a Copa del Rey, which people, I mean, kind of dismiss, but it is a trophy. He did win us a Copa del Rey. So you do have the likes of, you know, uh, Lewandowski and Jorginho, who, you know, Jorginho won a Euro. Um, but that, I feel like <clears throat> it's similar to the MVP trophy in basketball. I feel like the... The individual stats, whereas they don't matter as much in um, in soccer, or I mean in in, uh, in basketball, I feel like they matter a lot in soccer as well because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot going on on the soccer field. You know, there's assisting, there's uh, there's playmaking, there's scoring goals. Uh, there's just like how everyone plays on the field and how they affect the game. I feel like Messi really his fingerprints all all over every single game, whereas. You know, Jorginho is more of a holding midfield type of guy. He doesn't really score goals. Uh, he doesn't have that like carrying the team mentality. Uh, Lewandowski and Bayern. I mean, they're just a they just have really good players. I mean, he he can't carry the team if he wanted to, just because the team is so good. So like everyone else influences each other on the team. But if if I were and and Messi said it, Messi said they uh, Lewandowski deserved that last year. He said like for the last year that he had. So, do I think that Messi deserved it? Yes. Do I think that Lewandowski deserved it? Also, yes. So, I think that they shouldn't. They won't do it. They won't do like co MVPs like in basketball and stuff where they do that, uh, like in the All Star game. But they, I feel like maybe a co winner or something, but that's not going to happen. So, the popular pick was Messi. So, that's kind of how it went down. But for me, I feel like both of them deserved it, which was kind of unfortunate. Um, me but i just wanted to remind people that messi uh suppose supposedly had a down year that year but he really didn't so okay uh <laughs> i'm literally stretching my fingers out for this because i have thoughts i have thoughts okay so i am going to talk about the positive first um congratulations to Lionel messi uh, before I do begin, I do want to ask you should know. Um, has anyone mo- won more Ballon d'Ors than Messi? No. He's currently the top at seven, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Right, so, uh, like I said, I'm going to start with the positives. I'm very happy for Lionel Messi. I, you know, what he did last year should not be underestimated at all. You, I'm not going to go into it again because you literally just made... A lot of great points, and anything that I say is basically just going to be a repeat of what you said. Um, he definitely carried the team on his back last year for Barcelona. And yes, he's struggling currently with PSG at the moment, I understand. But it's mostly a chemistry thing and not re- a regression for Lionel Messi. Um, 46 goals. Crazy. And it it's crazy to, to think that I, I, it honestly was kind of a down year for Messi, but for him to score that many goals is is just breathtaking, essentially. Um, I really like the fact that he is currently the top record holder for most Ballon d'Ors at the moment because for football fans like you and me, yes, we're going to keep continuing talking about Messi for God knows how long, years to come. You know, on and off the podcast, I, I'm I am positive when we're literally well into our 50s, we're still going to be talking about Lionel Messi because we're talking about arguably the greatest player in the history of the game. And it's not just the current era. We're talking about any era. We're talking about decades worth of players who have come and gone 
and done fantastic things for the sport, but none of them really stack up to what Lionel Messi has done. And it makes me happy knowing that in 20 to 30 years' time, people who are going to talk about Messi, because usually when you talk about legends of the past, you you just think about what they've won. You talk about the individual awards, you know, the team awards, the titles that he's done. You don't really talk about his impact on the pitch, you know, 20 to 30 years down the line. So for him to rack up that many Ballon d'Ors guarantees that we're still going to be talking about Messi decades from now. And that's really, really good to see. Um, that's, that's the positive. Uh, I'm going to go into the negative, and I'm not even sure where to start. Uh, was Messi the popular pick? Yes. Was Messi the correct pick? I it's I think I'm I'm not ready to say no, but I think it's debatable. Only because, and I swear, I know anyone who listens to this, and I know anyone who knows me knows that I'm a Bayern Munich fan. It is not a bias. I am trying to be as unbiased as possible at the moment. But I really feel like Robert Lewandowski deserved it. I don't want to say he deserved it more than Messi, but I definitely think he deserved it. Because, like we all know, the 2020 Ballon d'Or ceremony, the award itself was basically canceled during 2020. And conveniently enough, that was the year that Bayern Munich had won a sextuple, which was six titles. And that was the first year that it's been done since 2013. And I believe it's, what, the second or maybe the third time that it's happened in Bayern Munich history? which is pretty, you know, that's a pretty monumental moment for a team like that. And he just he was just out of his mind last year. You know, Bayern Munich is, is, themselves, they were doing very, very well last year. Like, they, there wasn't really a team out there that could really stop Bayern Munich last year. Many have tried, but, you know, Champions League win, a Bundesliga title, just... A lot of the DFB Pokal, I mean, just the German Cup. There's so many that I could talk about about last year, but I really don't want to get into specifics. Um, Robert Lewandowski definitely deserved it. He, I just, I'm, I'm really disappointed in the fact that he won second and he didn't win the award for a couple of reasons. First off, I'm, I don't know how long this is gonna go when it comes to voter fatigue. Or award fatigue because it just it just feels like it's either Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo winning it every other year, and yes, they both deserve it. But still, it gets boring sometimes. Like you got to really give a chance to the other players. And the last person not named Messi or Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo to win the Ballon d'Or was Luka Modric, and I'm not knocking Luka Modric. Because he had a really, really good year. I don't know if he won the league title that year, but I believe he did. And he also won his third straight Champions League title that year. And he carried the national team on his back and led them to a World Cup final, which was, you know, that World Cup run that Croatia had was literally one for the books. He was fantastic. Do I think that he deserved to win it? Yes. But the fact that he wins it just makes me really think of 2013 when Ari and Robin and Frank Ribery were literally at the top of their games, respectively. They both won a sextuple in 2013, and they did not get any Ballon d'Or considerations. So why did Luka Modric get it in 2016? You know, that's that that comes to mind. Um, Robert Lewandowski, he's just currently the best it's been it's actually been a couple years now he i don't i i I am struggling to name a better striker than him at the moment he is perfect on goal he is a master tactician he knows how to get into the box with his strength he relies on his strength and his mentality because he doesn't have that first step he doesn't have the pace that other players do such as cristiano ronaldo Lionel messi Kylian mbappe those players he doesn't have that first step he doesn't have the speed but somehow he just finds his way into the box. He finds, you know, he finds his way to score goals. He makes it look effortless. He's doing fantastic. And yes, he has an amazing supporting cast with his club. But still, the fact that he has an amazing supporting cast and he can still outscore them at the rate that he did during 2020 and 2021 is just something to be respected, something that should be acknowledged. You know, with Messi, 
like you said, they he was carrying an anemic team. I don't see anyone scoring anything near what Messi did last year. That's kind of tough to see. But, you know, Bayern Munich, they have some beasts on that team. We're talking about Leroy Sané. We're talking about Serge Gnabry. We're talking about Joshua Kimmich. We're talking about Thomas Muller. And it's not like Robert Lewandowski didn't do that well. Like I said, he did fantastic. He, last year, he broke Jared Muller's record for all-time goals in the Bundesliga. And Jared Muller is basically known as the best Bundesliga to ever play in that league. So that's something to be acknowledged. And yes, they introduced a new award this year, which is what I think it was called best striker, best goalkeeper, or best uh, goal scorer, or something like that. And Robert Lewandowski did end up winning that award. But I feel like it's mostly just like a Mickey Mouse award. I just feel like it's something to give him because they just wanted to give the Ballon d'Or to Messi. And it makes me question how the voting process goes for the Ballon d'Or because I kind of feel like sometimes it's just journalists and council members voting for their friends. It just kind of makes me question the legitimacy of this whole process because, I don't know, like, are you trying to really tell me that Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi deserve to win it that many times? We're talking how many? How much does does Ronaldo? He has, he has five, right? Yeah, Ronaldo has five, and there was a point when Messi won five in a row. So if that says anything, oh, there's that. So we're talking about a combined twelve, twelve Ballon d'Ors, and these players have been playing since what? 2003, 2004, maybe. So yeah. since what we're talking about? Let's say seventeen years. Let's give it eighteen years. You're trying to tell me that there have been only five players, six players that deserve to win the Ballon d'Or in the last 18 years. And Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo deserve 12 of them. Yes, they're two all-time greats. To me, they're one and two in the history of the game. I, I really don't think anyone deserves to take those spots other than them. But look, to the point where Lionel Messi wins five in a row, to the point where Ronaldo has five in total, to the point where you know Lionel Messi kind of wins it over Robert Lewandowski, kind of questionable, you know, just, I didn't really organize a lot of these thoughts coming in, but I definitely did have a lot of thoughts while I was watching the ceremony, while I was watching everything. (laughs) And that's just who wins it. I know that you and I are going to get into the rankings, the top five to top 10 rankings. And I know we definitely both, both of us disagree on, you know, where a few players were ranked. But those are basically my thoughts on the winner and how the process goes. So I have just a couple, um, a couple of cliff notes here. I, in 2013-2014, Bayern was the best team in, in the world for sure. Oddly enough, Messi scored 45 goals in all competitions that year. So almost the same as what he had this year. Uh, he did win. So I feel like what, the reason why Ronaldo and Messi win so much of these awards is because their teams rely so heavily on them for to win. I mean, Iron is blessed with such a good team that I feel like uh, it kind of, I don't want to say diminishes what Lewandowski does, but what he does isn't viewed in the same light as what Messi and Ronaldo do. Ronaldo had, had, had really good teams at, at uh, uh, Real Madrid too, but he was was doing everything he was scoring the spectacular goals uh he was the man getting the ball all the time and what same thing with Messi I mean when Messi was winning those five Ballon d'Ors in a row he was on a ridiculous tear like there was there was one year where he scored 92 goals in all competitions like he does as Messi goes the team goes and as Ronaldo goes the team goes as Lewandowski Byron goes I'm not sure about that I don't know I mean I'm sure there there are times when Lewandowski had had poor performances and Byron has won because they have world-class players everywhere on the field. So I feel like that might be why, and I'm not saying it's right, but I just feel like uh, it's just part of it is 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 media media driven too. I mean, you know, Ronaldo and Messi attract a lot more media than, than uh, Robert Lewandowski does for sure. So a lot of it's also media driven. I feel like it's just due to the fact that they their teams rely so heavily on them for production and for how the game goes. So and like you said with Modric, the 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 time that he won the the Ballon d'Or, he wasn't really scoring. He wasn't like a like a high scoring player, a high goal scoring player. But literally, as the team went, he went. Like if he had a bad game, the team had a bad game. He was making everyone better. He was 
he was involved in a lot of goals, involved in a lot of big plays. So I don't know. It's unfortunate. Um, Lewandowski's a great striker. He's the best striker in the world, but it's just super unfortunate that, I mean, <laughs> he's just blessed with like really great players around him. It's not an excuse, but that might be some of the reason as to why he didn't win this one. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, like I said, I feel like I really let everything out on how I feel uh, when it comes to this entire process when it comes to Messi winning it. And I have to reiterate, I am not upset that Lionel Messi won. Uh, in my eyes, he was the only other player that should have won it if it wasn't going to be Robert Lewandowski. Robert Lewandowski is, in my eyes, the person who truly should have won it this year for the sake of, you know, like I said, award fatigue, for the sake of stats, for, for the sake of what he's done on the pitch and things like that. And I know that everyone's going to, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, Messi scored more goals or Messi, you know, was the focal point of that offense. And I understand, I totally do, and I respect everyone's opinions, but at the same time, like I said, you really got to look at the supporting cast for Barcelona, and then you got to look at the supporting cast for Bayern Munich, you know. And and you mentioned that Barcelona was basically the best team in the world in 2013, 2014, and Messi did all that. But then again, Messi was in his prime. We are talking about, this is what, uh, seven, seven years ago? So seven years ago, Messi was what, 25, 26? Something like that? Probably mm-hmm. 20, 27, maybe something like that. Robert Lewandowski had 41 league goals last year, and he's pushing 34. So... That's that's something to consider as well. Yeah, but no, um, but okay. Let me uh, let's get into the rankings. I'm going to mention. I'm going to talk about, or I mean, I mean, I'm going to just name the the top ten for the Ballon d'Or rankings, and then we'll get into it. Uh, first, obviously, being Lionel Messi. Second, being Robert Lewandowski. We just mentioned both of those. Third was Jorginho, the Chelsea midfield. Um, he did pretty well, I guess. You know, he won the Champions League final. He won the Euro with Italy. I feel like his third, his his being there in the top five is basically just on based on the titles and not more of his individual um, efforts with Chelsea. Um, fourth, Karim Benzema. Fifth, N'Golo Kante. Same case as Jorginho, to be honest. Uh, sixth, Cristiano Ronaldo. Seventh, Mo Salah. Eighth, Kevin De Bruyne. Ninth, Kylian Mbappe. And tenth, Gianluigi Donnarumma. Uh, I am positive that you and I disagree with some of the placements here. Yeah, I for for first off, I would take out I would take out Jorginho and N'Golo Kante. No offense of the top five, and I would insert um, I would probably insert. Holland at or Mo Salah and Holland. I would insert Salah at number uh number three. Um, I would put Mbappe. It was Salah number two. Mbappe number three. I would go um Holland number four. Holland had forty four goals and thirteen assists, which is just like insane. Um, and he's nineteen years old or twenty years old now. Um, I would put Mbappe in there. Forty five goals, twenty two assists. Um. UEFA Nations League, say what you want about it, whatever. Um, they didn't win the league, the French League, which could be a reason why he was ranked uh, at five and not higher. They did win the, the French Cup, whatever. So for me, it's Messi, number one. Um, uh, Mbappe, number two. Uh, Salah, number three. And I'd go, I'd even go De Bruyne. I'd go De Bruyne, number four. And then Holland at five. That's my top five. I'm going to do the whole ten. I'm just going to go five. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, I might I might do more than five. I might do seven, since I think both of us are in agreement that Lionel Messi and Robert Lewandowski should be one and two. But, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Uh, Jorginho does not, definitely not deserve to be third. I would definitely put Mo Salah there. Benzema at four seems pretty right to me. Fifth, I would put in Erling Holland. I do not think Kante deserves to be on there. 
Um, we're, because, I mean, he won the Champions League, and that's great. That's fantastic. And he's definitely a critical part of that Chelsea midfield. He's definitely he's the anchor of that midfield. But where are the stats? What what has he done? What has he done with France? You know, he's just there. He got eliminated from the Euros. So two goals and one assist. If you that's just I <laughs> just I don't get it. I have genuinely no clue why he's in the top five. Cristiano Ronaldo at sixth is it's something. I I don't know what to call it, but it's it's definitely something. I feel like he definitely deserves to be in the top ten. I think sixth is pretty accurate. I feel like sixth is pretty pretty good for Ronaldo, which is um. It's definitely a down year for him. It's definitely not what he's used to, clearly. But um and I know he's upset at it. Uh for those of you who are, you know, follow these kinds of things. Uh Cristiano Ronaldo apparently went on his Instagram shortly after the Ballon d'Or ceremony and he found a random Instagram post, you know, basically just an essay on why Ronaldo deserves it more than Messi and Ronaldo commented saying fectos with a thumbs up emoji and an eyes emoji which is the portuguese word for what i assume is facts so i know he's upset at that uh seventh instead of i mean mo salah was there seventh this is kind of be kind of a hot take honestly i feel like harry kane definitely deserves to be in the top seven harry kane Whoa. last last year dude he had the most goals in the Premier League, I think he finished 30. He had the most assists. With the national team, he reached the the, the the Euro final. I mean, for him to be placed 23rd with those kind of stats and those kinds of accomplishments with the national team, that's just despicable. The fact that, you know, you see players such as N'Golo Conte and Jorginho in the top five when Harry Kane is right there sitting at 23rd. 23rd. It's just crazy. And I, I know that Tottenham didn't really do that well last year when it comes to in the rankings, and I know that they're not in the Champions League this year. They're not even in the Europa League this year. They're in the Conference League. I don't know what you know what that's about. But um still if you know, stats matter. It isn't just about what you accomplish with your team. Stats matter. And Harry Kane is only the third player in Premier League history to lead in both goals and assists at the end of a season. For him to be placed 23rd is just really weird for me. I feel like this guy definitely deserved, like, at the very least, a top 10 spot. Like, if we're going to look at 8, 9, and 10, we're talking about De Bruyne, Kylian Mbappe, and Gianluigi Donnarumma. I think I would replace, like, I would put Kylian Mbappe, Donnarumma, and then Harry Kane. Because Kylian Mbappe, obviously, you know, I think, I'm not sure, but I believe that he led League One last year in in goals. I'm not entirely sure, but obviously, even even if he didn't, you know, Kylian Mbappe is one of the best players in the world. You can't really deny that. Um, Gianluigi Donnarumma, you know, he had a fantastic run with the Euros. You know, he won the keeper of the tournament, and he also won the best player of that tournament, which is very rare to see. You don't really see goalkeepers winning that MVP title, and uh, he obviously won the Euro as well. So Gianluigi and Mbappe, they definitely deserve to be in that top 10. But I feel like if we're going to put a 10th player and remove someone, I would take out Kevin De Bruyne and put in Harry Kane based on stats alone. Because reaching the Euro 2020 final is an accomplishment in itself. Yeah, sure, you didn't win. You lost to the winners. So that's just something to be celebrated. And stats-wise, like I just said, third player in the most competitive league in the world to lead in both goals and assists. That's just, I feel like that's just, that's something they're really brushing aside and they're not really appreciating enough. So. All right. So let's do something here. It's kind of like off the fly. Um, honorable mention. Who would you put in your top 10? Like, aside from the players you just put, obviously, and someone that no one's really been talking about. Honorable mention. Who would you put in? I mean, other than Harry Kane, you mean? Because Harry Kane was yeah. placed 23rd. Yeah, other than anyone we just talked about. Top 10 or just an honorable mention? Uh, well, who you would insert him in your top 10. 
I really feel like Harry Kane is the guy for me, but if we're going to talk about someone other than Harry Kane, I believe that Bruno Fernandez should have been there. Bruno Fernandez was the core of the Man United team last year, and they finished second place uh, in the Premier League, which is, again, not winners, but you know, second place is pretty close. Uh, when it comes to the Euros, he did really well with Portugal. Uh, obviously, didn't reach the final, but you know they did what they could. Um, they definitely struggled a little bit during the Euros, but if we're going to talk about stats, Bruno Fernandes had a lot of goals, a lot of goal chances, a lot of contributions last year. He was definitely the leader of that Man United squad, and he was one of the... I mean, he, you know, he basically disappeared during the Euro 2020 tournament. And I understand that because, like I said, like you can't. It's very tough to really shine on a team that includes Cristiano Ronaldo, and I feel like that's still true now because Bruno and Fernandez also play for the or Bruno Fernandez and Ronaldo play for the same club now. They're just they're not just national, you know, team teammates. They also play. They both they also both play for Man United, and ever since Ronaldo's come to the team, Bruno Fernandez has definitely regressed he's not as threatening as he used to be last year he was always a threat to score or at the very least he was basically guaranteed an assist every single game but you don't see that anymore with bruno fernandez so i feel like as an individual player uh i think he definitely deserves an honorable mention i still believe that harry kane deserves it much much more than bruno but since you already said you know i already mentioned harry kane bruno is my pick all right so for me, um, this is gonna come as a shock to a lot of people. I'm probably if I had to pick someone who we haven't talked about, I would insert him in the in the Ballon d'Or discussion. It's 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 tough, but um, I'm gonna have to go with uh, uh, Lataro Martinez. Uh, in what? Yeah, this guy. Hang yeah. on. In in, in 2021. Um, Won the, he won the Copa America, obviously, with Argentina, and he was a factor in it. Uh, he won Serie A with Inter, Inter Milan. 25 goals and 7 assists, okay? And the year before that, he had, he, had a, he had a pretty down year, and he had a lot of hype around him as, like, you know, teams were inquiring uh, for him. Barcelona was inquiring about him. He wasn't the face of Inter um, in 2021 because that was pretty much... Uh, uh, Lukaku. Lukaku. So... But he did score some really crucial goals, and I don't think they would have won. I don't think they would have won the Silverware without him. I don't think they would have won Serie A without him. I mean, Lukaku was really good too, but he played a really. He also played a key role for Argentina too. I mean, he was he was the Robin to Messi's Batman essentially on that team. Uh, he was the Di Maria when Di Maria wasn't like a, like around. Di Maria is getting a little older. There's some games where he doesn't perform, so Latar Martinez kind of takes on that like. That mantle of goal scorer, and um, and also playmaker too. He has he has very good vision, um, and he does know how to score some spectacular goals and some crucial goals too. And the thing is, he's 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 still budding. I mean, he's twenty four years old. Um, I think they I think his ranking in the Ballon d'Or was like twenty first or something. Like when it, when it came down to it, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put him in as honorable mention just because we talked about everyone that's already like you know pretty much has any merit to the award. Um, it was between honestly. Um, it was between him and uh, for me, uh, uh, Giorgio Chiellini, which is you know saying a lot as well. But I feel like just to perform at his age, what he does. I mean, he had he won the Euro. He won the he didn't win the 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 league in Italy, the Serie A. Obviously, he did win the cup. Uh, he had ten clean sheets. I mean, that's that's saying something. That's that's still pretty good. And he and he still puts fear in these attackers, and he just brings that intensity i'm not saying these guys are gonna are should have won i'm just saying they should be 10th let's say 10th in the in the in the voting either of these either of these two guys that i just named um but on a on a different note here i'm just gonna say something that um probably the saddest the saddest ranking is neymar at 16th that's like for me that's just one of the saddest things <laughs> just because this guy left barcelona because he wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to win a Ballon d'Or. He wanted to win a Champions League. Of course, none of that has happened um, ever since he went to PSG. So, just real quick, I just want to take a moment here to say that's that I'm very sad 
Um, I like Neymar as a player. I don't like how he left Barcelona. I felt like um, had he stayed, it would have been a lot better for his career just because we would have won a lot more titles. And it's not like he wasn't getting shine with Messi. He was scoring some great goals as well. So um, I maybe he was being a little selfish, but you have to do that as a star player. So... Um, yeah, that's just me. For me, that's like really sad. I don't know if any any ranking stood out to you as like super sad, but for me, that's like the saddest ranking for him at sixteen. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right. Sixteenth uh, is pretty low, and Neymar was definitely one of the best players in the world when he was with Barcelona. Even in his first couple seasons at PSG, he was definitely one of the best players in the world as well, and. When he left Barcelona, I remember his reasoning was basically that he just didn't want to play in the shadow of Messi anymore, and he really felt like he could really come into his own when it comes to PSG. When when he goes to PSG, and you know, since then he hasn't really done much. He hasn't. He's been really reliant on killing Mbappe, and it kind of feels like he's in his shadow now. And to make things worse, he's now back under Messi's shadow. Like, yes, I understand that Messi hasn't been doing that well. I think he's only scored, what, like three goals, one assist so far in the in the League One this season. But because that's basically mostly because Messi's playing under a new system. And, you know, he's taking time to adjust. But still, physically speaking, Neymar is the forgotten player if we're going to talk about the PSG front line of Kylian Mbappe, you know, Lionel Messi... And, you know, other players, Mauro, Cardi, you know, those kind of players, Angel Di Maria, you know, it kind of feels like Neymar is the kind of the guy that just left out sometimes. And it's just really sad to see him fall off the way that he is, that or that one that he, the way that he has, because like I said, this was supposed, this was, this was the guy. This was the guy that basically Messi was passing the torch to at Barcelona. This was the guy that he was the next big thing. And just, it's really sad to see that he hasn't really lived up to his potential. And no matter what he does, it kind of feels like he doesn't. Like, he's either always in trouble, or he's always, you know, dealing with the suspensions, or the constant injuries that he's been facing. And he's literally, he just got injured this last weekend. And it kind of looks like he's going to be out. There are initial reports saying that he's going to be out for the rest of the season, like the next yeah. six months. That was a bad injury. And it was awful, you know. He got stretchered off, and it. I, I saw that injury. It was literally his ankle went in one direction, and his bone went in an entirely other direction. So it definitely looks like a bad, you know, a really bad break for Neymar. And you hate to see it, but at the same time, like this is what you wanted, and you clearly were not up to the task. And that's just the club aspect. We haven't really talked about how Neymar has underperformed with the Brazilian national team. We're talking about Brazil. You know, the most storied national team in all of history, essentially. You know, threats. No matter who they put up on the on, on the field, they always, they're always a threat. And Neymar is, was definitely supposed to be carrying that team, but he hasn't done that in the slightest. Yeah, I mean, he's he has really dropped off, and it's, it's just really sad to see, especially with Brazil. I mean, <clears throat> uh, their World Cup run in 2018 wasn't really... Um, Really anything crazy. Um, they did win the. I, I think he won the. He won the Olympics. Uh, he won the gold medal at the Olympics with them. Um, uh, still, I mean, it's. Uh, I don't even think he was on that squad. No, he was, but it was. It was. It was. Uh, it was twenty twenty sixteen? I think it was. It was. It wasn't this. It wasn't this past one. It was. It was before the World Cup even. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was a long time ago, but I feel like with Neymar, ever since leaving Barcelona, he, I mean, he's still technically in Messi's shadow, ironically enough, because they're on the same team now, and I mean, while he is, he's not really outperforming Messi, in my opinion, uh, other people might have different opinions, but during the games, I feel like Messi's still bossing everything, he's moving everything around, Slow. it's, uh, it's a very slow pace uh, for Messi this year, but again, I feel like uh, Neymar... He was he was the guy. I mean, he was the the heir apparent to uh, Pele, uh, as far as like Brazil goes. Uh, he was that guy that's he was a wonder kid, and he he was a wonder kid. No one was that was not a lie. I mean, uh, from Santos in Brazil, Barcelona, he really showed everyone what he could do. But it's just it's just really sad what's happened 
his career, and I feel like with injuries and stuff, I feel like it's not going to get any better for him, you know, sadly. Um, but you know, real quick, I just wanted to give a shout-out to the women's Ballon d'Or, um, Alexia Putellas. Uh, she is a, a Barcelona f- uh, player as well on the women's mm-hmm. team. Yeah. And she, she's been, like, nuts. Like, she's apparently had, like, crazy games. So... I, I remember watching the ceremony, and uh, she's a midfielder, and mm. they were like, you know, basically telling her stats and you know giving highlights on the screen. A midfielder, and she scored thirty-three goals and nineteen assists. That yeah. is—I don't care what gender you are, bro, or w- what you play against. That is impressive. Yeah, dude, she was, and the and the Barca team is just amazing too. They're on steroids. They're pretty much like the Bayern of um of the women's game, essentially. Is he's just insane, man. She is ridiculous. And that year she won it. I mean, she won the Ballon d'Or. Uh, with I think that was her, she didn't even win it. That was her first. I think uh, this this past one was her first uh, her first year she won. So um, that's crazy to think about. Yeah. <laughs> That is so crazy to think about, man. But uh, yeah, I think uh, that's gonna do it for for tonight's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, you know, you can always find us on social media. Uh, we are on Twitter at the Deep NPD. That is the Deep NPD. You're always welcome to reach out. You know, let you let us know that you support the podcast. Give us any you know talking points. You can also find us on Instagram at the Deep End P O D C. That is the Deep End Pod C. Um, we generally try to reply to every comment, every message that you guys send us, and I think we've been doing a good job of that so far. And we're letting you know, like we are open. We are definitely open to talk. Always, we are always appreciating your comments, your concerns, your criticisms, any suggestions that you might have for the show. Um, you know, we're we're there. We are literally just a text away. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you guys for listening ten episodes in the book. So we appreciate it and um yeah, just be be sure to just follow us and uh, and just share every time we do have a episode. I know a lot of you guys have already been doing that. Tune in and give us uh, your feedback. So once again, thank you guys and uh we will see you next time then.